Looking to create wealth and income through high cash flowing real estate? Self-storage is the fastest growing and the newest real estate asset that has outperformed all others. What's its secret? I'm AJ Osborne, and with over a million square feet that we have built, acquired, expanded, and even converted big box stores from small third tier markets to large hundred plus thousand square foot facilities, we have seen it all. This is the podcast that we're going to discuss and bring on the best investors and operators in the nation to show you how to create wealth and income with self-storage. Welcome to Self-Storage Income. Welcome to the Self Storage Income Podcast. Today, I am here with Connor, and we're talking about risk. There's none of it. None. There's whatsoever. no risk in storage. Cash cows, like, just buy it. Recession-proof. They will they come. never fail. No risk. <laughs> uh, yes, that was sarcasm. Yes. Uh, no, I'm excited to jump into this. Just, I mean, for that reason alone, to really help clarify that there are very real risks in anything you do, and uh, you got to prepare and plan for those risks regardless, mm-hmm. uh, because there's always going to be unknowns, always going to be things that you can't control. So it's absolutely something that you have to be thinking about. And, and you know, too, um, it's interesting because I, I had a conversation on um, – it was like the world's largest real estate forum or something. And somebody was arguing with me about an aspect. I, I'd mentioned that there was a certain asset class that I believed um, was safer based upon a few elements that were measurable. It wasn't, it wasn't opinion or anything like that. It was like you could look at the measurable aspects about it. And they got mad at me and they're like, you're just being a naysayer on self-storage. And I'm like, What? <laughs> Me? AJ is like, being a naysayer on stage. I'm like, okay, <laughs> come on. If anything, I'm worried that I'm too much of a hype guy on this real estate asset class. Yeah. That's my worry. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's ridiculous that anyone thinks that we shouldn't have extremely open, in-depth conversation on the downsides and the risks that happen. Yeah. Um, a huge percentage of my portfolio was purchased from people that were losing their facility. And- we don't like people in the industry don't like talking about those things. And I think it's generally because they're trying to get them into a funnel to sell them something on how to or how to do, mm-hmm. right? Where it's that's not the goal. It's we should all be making better investments. And two, for everybody listening to this, I think that you should always be weary when somebody doesn't want to be open about the downsides. Because for me, it means two things. First of all, um, it means or can mean that they're not aware of them, which that is extraordinarily dangerous. Obviously, you don't want to be working with those people and giving money because identifying risks allows you to protect yourself from those risks. It, it It's not about eliminating or saying there's no risks. It's about identifying and managing risks. Um, and the second is they're just trying to sell you something at the end. Neither one of those things are a good thing, right? We need to have clear, open conversations about the very real risk and plus the future risk of self-storage. These are conversations that we have all the time. Mm -hmm. In fact, it was because of these conversations that have led us to great investments, avoided bad ones. It's allowed us to invest in our future and how that 
um, some of these risks may play out and how we can take advantage of them. So well, this is no small ordeal either. I mean, you're talking in identifying those good deals. I mean, like I want to identify what that just what that means to us here with that 20 percent. Like yeah. that is insane. It's a big number. Totally insane. So I just and, wanted to identify. Yeah. Like, and, and two, the that. reason also we have the high requirements of return and things at our firm that we do is because we need a margin of safety. Risk. Risk. <laughs> I need to make sure that when the millions of things that could happen that nobody knows that are going to happen today do inevitably happen because they will, mm-hmm. Yeah, that we have a buffer that our investment isn't predicated on everything staying the same or everything being perfect, which right now in the cycle, I can't tell you how many deals I see that are predicated on everything going perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that just doesn't happen. Right. So having this open discussion, it during this podcast, I am not, I don't want anybody to go into it and be like, wow, you're a naysayer, you're throwing water on this. No, but this podcast is going to be dedicated to downsides, risk, and I am going to be very open and real with my concerns about the asset class. Um, and I I think it's valuable. And in no way, shape, or form, saying don't do self-storage. But, you know, we got to walk that line. Like if um, you don't want... If you don't want any risk in anything, you you will never do anything. Like there's yeah, just, it's impossible. There's always risk. You gotta uh-huh. identify that. And a lot of it is due to the simple nature that it's out of our control. So this comes down to the essence of risk that I believe in. You don't get rid of risk. That's impossible. You manage it. Um, and there's certain risks that you have zero control of, over, no matter what. Right. So. You know, you have all the end of world circumstances. Those risks I don't take into account. Now, why don't I take into account end of world circumstances? Because it's the end of the world. It doesn't matter. (laughs) It's like if we're in World War III, whether I go bankrupt or not is going to mean very little to me because millions and millions and millions of people will be dying. And I hope my kids don't go to war. Yeah. Right. Like priorities change. Yeah. Priorities change dramatically. Um, So I invest within a certain realm of normalcy. Right. I invest not investing with the idea that a meteorite's going to hit in two years. Right. (laughs) Or that, you know, we'll be in World War Three, because if I did that, all I would be doing is stashing away gold bars and guns. Like, yeah. it's, you know what and I mean? Food, <laughs> food exactly. So I got to exactly. frame this conversation of risk for our whole audience so we understand. What I'm looking at is risks as things that will affect primary the asset class as a whole, the industry, and the individual risks of locations. Um the first we talk about endlessly, and I told somebody, or I, I not told somebody, I said on this podcast, and I will always say it, we'll never stop talking about the risk of oversupply. Um, the number one risk to self-storage in the foreseeable future is self-storage because it's so evident and it's so prevalent. So I'm not going to go into it in depth on this podcast because that's not what this is about, and we've talked about it so much, but we're going to talk about it in more podcasts to come because it is your number one threat. Um, oversupplied markets... Uh, is out of your control, right? So that's a manageable risk that you need to go into, which we'll leave that to another podcast. We have entire podcasts on it and we'll make more on it. Um, Really, some of the things that I want to talk about today is risks that I see as the industry as a whole, as in the asset class, as in self-storage, 
right? Is it the asset that can never end? Is it the asset that can never low in value? And the answer is yes, it can never go down in value, just like homes, right? Um, uh, so we don't want to be those guys. Uh, Insert sarcasm uh, disclaimer. Yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that on my outlook, immediate outlook uh, for risks in the industry as a whole is the effects of um, uh, rising interest rates due to inflation. Now, some of the conversations that I've had with people are like, well, rising interest rates is good for real estate or excuse me, inflation is good for uh, real Mm. estate, right? Because real estate prices go up, you can charge more. And I say, well, yes, that's true. But inflation means rising interest rates, which means housing markets and purchasing power stop or slow down dramatically, not stop, but they really slow down. And so when I look at risks, I'm looking not at necessarily a storage facility. I'm looking at the customer. If today the housing market stopped being completely on fire like it is right now because money's free and we went to interest rates at how it had been before the Great Recession. Let's go back to 2006 and seven, right, where you had like 6% interest rates. That's double today. Um if that happened, you, the housing market would shut down. It would it would be done. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to I, I, I'm buying a house, and I got like a three point eight percent interest rate on my loan, and I was like, oh geez, that's that's freaking steep, right? You know, it's like, <laughs> I mean, that's how we have a whole yeah. generation of people now that are buying homes that don't understand that interest rates haven't been sub 4% because they have been for their whole entire adult life. Um, That change, when you see how the payments hit on your loan, will dramatically decrease the loan size. It will also dramatically decrease decrease the buyers in the markets, and it'll dramatically decrease um, how many people can afford, based upon incomes today, what they can buy. So, their other argument is then, okay, well, then that means people will rent more, right? And there's different things that could take into a, a effect, right, and different outcomes. But at the end of the day, the housing market's going to slow down right now because the housing market's so big. So many people are moving. There's so much uh, uh, the great migrations that are happening. Um, when I look at these things, there's a certain percentage of your occupancy that is included in these changing, right? And, and it could be a very large percentage. So if I look... At the difference in seasonal markets, some of these markets are going from 95% occupancy to 83% occupancy in the slow time, right? Well, a, that is the vast majority of that. Let's just call it 10%, 93 to 83 or 95 to 85%, right? Those are um, due strictly to short-term rentals due to home prices uh, or excuse me, due to moving, right? Movement in the market. Now, there's also a certain percentage of that more that just didn't move out in that time, but will because you're constantly refilling, right? And you have churn. And so when I look at those things, there's a per- certain percentage of my pop, uh, per- percentage of my occup- occupancy that is really dependent on that. Um, in a market that is oversaturated and you lose that, uh, it is a downward spiral effect because now you're not replacing. And two, a lot of those tenants that will come in will stay for longer periods of time, right? You're replenishing that lost. Well, you stop replenishing. 
Um, so then you're doing giveaways. Now you're lowering your rental rates. So although occupancy drops, let's say 10, 15%, revenue will drop 30 because your rates are dropping. You're now getting higher delinquencies. You're, there's all these things happening. Um, will people keep buying RVs and toys and everything as car, new cars, as interest rates continue to rise? Not at the rate they're buying them today. Uh, this is one of the main concerns that I, that I have and it's a fact. I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know, mm -hmm. but it is a concern for me because it is a, it would be a concern for my customer. And I worry about the revenue outlook in a situation like that. Um, you know, we're seeing what's happening in the bond market, 10 the yield curves spiking. Um, those are all signs of inflation, right? That means, uh, it, you know. We just pumped trillions of dollars into the economy from the government that is tagged to nothing, right? Like we, we have a surge of, of government spending um, that is like of wartime era. The difference, though, is in wartime era, they didn't send me $3,500 to go buy iPads, <laughs> right? They, they spent money to buy factories, Mm -hmm. to employ people to build things yeah. so people learn skills. They build infrastructure. This is going into savings account, play money, and new homes. That is totally different to how those dollars are spent, right? Apple is going to just kill it, right? Oh, dude, they already are. Yeah, they already are. Yeah. They had like their right. highest quarter ever after the first um, – uh, after the first um, – I guess I don't know that we call it bailout anymore, but um, handout, handout, yeah, <laughs> after the first handout, and yeah. so they will the next. Um, when we look at this, you're going to see an immediate bump in storage, right? It, it will. You, you, we're already seeing it after the first handouts happened across the country. We saw spikes in occupancy. Mm -hmm. Well, I was even talking to one of our partners here the other day uh, that owns an e-commerce business, and uh, he was talking that he, they see a noticeable difference in their sales when those stimulus checks have come out. Yeah. And it's fitness equipment. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's just- Everybody it's rose. It's incredible, yeah. yeah. Our, our, our GDP is directly in line with it. So for you to say that an asset is going to perform when the government- is literally becoming the GDP. Like it's it's spending all unprecedented trillions of dollars that they're just giving to the economy, giving to people. That's not real. Mm -hmm. What happens when it goes away? This is my other big concern. Um, can we sustain rental rate increases that we had during a time when everybody was getting tons and tons of money and buying more stuff? So um, – these are two big concerns, and they should be on everybody. How how we manage and deal with these things is we lock up low interest rates for a longer period of time. We want to lock in that cheap debt because I don't want to be re refinancing and be, have to refinance at a time where debt spikes. That can really get you into trouble. We make sure value add is strong. So if that does happen, we have a lot of equity. So our debt to equity ratio is completely available to refinance and we don't get hit with having to raise money to pay down debt because that's all off. Um, and another thing that we're looking at is super tight markets. Demand has to be super high. So that way, if demand trails off, we're in a market where the current the current demand is more than enough. 
right? A lot of people right now are investing and building storage facilities in areas where they they say, this is going to be awesome. Here's the five-year projections from this area. That's great. It's completely dependent on those five-year projections. If those don't happen with that infill, that move-in, new housing, what happens to the asset? So current demand versus future demand is really important to me right now. The other thing that I'm looking at um, very strongly is we are very much worried about um, local governments and how they act during pandemics. Um, we don't touch California. Um, we don't. We already have precedent, and we've seen numbers out of it, and we've seen what's happened. Those things concern us. We don't. Uh, we don't want to touch metro areas. Where in an area of COVID, COVID 2.0, COVID 3.0, like, you know, for all we know, the next wave's worse than the first. And if that's how we've seen the playbook and we saw how people reacted, they left. I don't know if it'll ever happen. We all pray and hope that it won't happen. Mm -hmm. But it just did. Yeah, it was so, a perfect case study. Yeah, a perfect case exactly study for that. it. So yeah. we have something to benchmark it off. So we're avoiding those things. Um, so debt markets, consumers' ab ability to consume. Um, we also look at increase in um, quantity. And then we're also looking at crazy things, right? We're looking at the way new technology will affect. So I don't know how many people have thought about this, but when you look at your facility that you're acquiring, have you thought about how it will adapt to um, uh, uh, manless cars, like driverless cars? How in a world of automation, in a world where we're not driving cars, what's going to happen to the roadways? How's traffic going to work? How's that city going to be redesigned? Now, you say that may be a little extreme. It's true, right? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Who knows? But maybe I'll be the smartest guy in five years. So right. we'll see. We're calling um, it right now. Yeah, we're calling like, it right now. In five <laughs> years, if it happens, I'm going to say it. But um, one of the ways that we're looking at that and evolving around that is could dr driverless cars actually deliver things to our facility? And would we be set up to take on that? Because if I have technology that is an open API that I could actually connect with Uber, then Uber could load the things out of people. People could call an Uber, put all their stuff in the Uber, and put in my address, and it goes straight into my uh, property management system. It records it, goes on site, and then can deliver all their goods and services. That's a huge competitive advantage, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, now, I'm just talking what future may look like and how it may work, right? But at the same time, these are all trends that we see. And you go, that's so far in the future. Well, right now, you can go get a taxi that has no driver in Phoenix. Mm -hmm. That exists. It's happening right now. Right now. Yeah. Um, so that's going to change the way that city planners design growth. It's going to change what we see in parking lots. It's going to change downtown areas. It's, you know, there's a lot of things that we think about when you expand your horizon to 20 years and not three, four years, right? Mm -hmm. We get a lot of problems with fund managers that are putting out numbers at a three, five-year hold because they're not thinking past that. And we don't want to be like that. We want to think long-term and adjust our infrastructure. Now, once again... 
this may be totally crazy, but we're on the lookout and we're thinking about these things. We're thinking about the risks to self-storage as an asset type. Um, we think most of technology only benefits us. Amazon, right? The loss of office space. All of those things we think act absolutely help us. In fact, we think driverless cars will also help us. Um, but we also need to, particularly on development, be taking these things into consideration. That's the thing. It can help you or, or destroy you. you. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, and kind of talking, touching on what you were talking about just now with, uh, you know, how these cities are planning things out. And the beautiful thing is, is a lot of cities have plans for what they're going to do, yeah. what they plan on doing. And uh, coordinating with them when you're looking at potential projects or acquisitions, again, we're talking about reducing risk. This is a... Uh, absolute must, like talking to those cities, understanding what their plan is and what do they, I mean, ask them that question. Yeah. Ask them questions like this. Like, how do they plan on integrating those driverless vehicles into the city? Yeah. Like what's, I mean. In, How's that going to work? I mean, figure out how thinking? you can capitalize on those, those changes and adaptations to our society as we continue to grow and our economy and everything else. Like, how does the cell phone integrate yeah. with the facility? That was 100%. a stupid question eight years ago. Yeah. Now it's the only question <laughs> that matters. Exactly. Um, yeah. When we think about usage integration, um, these things, you know, self-storage is a business and you need to be competitive because self-storage is becoming more and more competitive on operations, on locations, everything else. So you need to think outside of the box. Uh, another thing that, you know, we look at – perfect example too is the build phase. We talk about supply and demand. Um, I, I see what I'm calling the pump and dump of self-storage. So what we're seeing is if I took – I was on the phone with somebody that called in. Um, they had they gave me a great review on my book and because of it, I told them I'd take a, a call with them, a 15-minute call because it was a nice thing to do. Anybody wants to do that, let Kaylee know in her office, go to the site. Um, I think that's awesome and I like to – talk with people to support us. But I was talking with him. We looked at a, a few sites. He, it was a real quick thing. And every single thing that we had looked at that was on the market that the brokers had listed, all four of them, they were the highest rates in the market. They weren't the what best operated. So I think their existing rates were much lower. They were the highest rates in the market. And all of them within a two-mile radius had storage facilities that were going to be built. I call this the pump and dump. What they're doing is they're jacking up prices as quick as they can to make an increase in revenue so the trailing and the forward 12 months on the P&L look really good. They're selling it at a low cap rate before the other facilities come in and those rates and occupancies are unsustainable. Um, so if you've heard about pump and dump stocks, right, penny stocks, I call it pump and dump storage. And I think that's what's happening. I don't think. I know that's what's happening. Mm -hmm. um, real estate agents are going out and saying, hey, let's sell your facility in six months, and I'm going to help you get ready. They're actually helping the mm. storage facility owners increase their revenue to sell at a much, much higher multiple. That's great for the seller, right? But if you're acquiring, you're taking on a lot of risk. Are, is those massive rate increases sustainable in that market. Well, the thing is, like, you're, you're destroying that market Yeah, in, in doing that. Because, um, again, after that, you know, dump. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I mean, we had one facility that, that like, no. had done that. And within a mile on each side of the facility, two facilities were being built, both REITs. The two-mile radius was going to triple the amount of square footage Jeez. within it. And at that moment, 
they had increased their rates by like 50% in a year. And they were taking advantage of those not being there. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the REITs is notorious for coming in at really, really low rates. They're going to come in and they're going to open up this massive facility at these super low rates. Your occupancy is going to drop and mm -hmm. you're going to be trying to catch this falling knife. You're going to get in trouble. Yeah, and all of a sudden you, you, can't. you paid at this low, low cap rate at this historic high rates that are not sustainable in the future. And that's why the current existing operator was selling it. So those are some micro risks and things that we look at. Um, other things that we look at is the adjustment and tax status on storage facilities. This is a big one. Some areas are getting really aggressive on increasing taxes um, against storage facilities. It's a way of penalizing them because they have such a low tax base anyways. Well, when you're buying, we buy storage facilities, right, on a net income basis. It's a cap rate. It's what you're going to make off it. Looking at the net income, the change in expenses changes what you pay because it changes your net in income. Taxes was one of the largest expenses. So if you increase that by 30%, right, because it's a cap rate, that 30% is leveraged in the purchasing price. And a lot of people are really downplaying the increase in their taxes once they sell the facility. The new owner buys it, and all of a sudden their net income is dramatically less because they had a huge increase in their taxes. Rising tax rates and storage facilities being targeted because they're trying to get more taxes out of them, which we have. We have lawsuits right now in counties um, with storage operators in counties that we've been a part of and involved in um, because of predatory practices. Um, this is going on right now. Um, that's a concern because we're worried that that's going to catch on across the country as these facilities are popping up everywhere and local counties um, are trying to take advantage or trying to make up for what that would be. If, for example, if you put multifamily housing in, your tax basis is m m way higher. That's why these communities don't like storage facilities because mm -hmm. the yield on them to the county is so low. Would you and say so trying to make up for it? Would you say this is another kind of like full circle example of inflation, showing that these cities are trying to acquire more funds because the funds they had before aren't sufficient enough anymore. Yeah, absolutely. And now yeah, it's this is a, yeah, inflation's going to hit us on a lot of it. Your yeah. expenses are going to rise. I mean, we've seen a 30% increase in 5 years in employment. 30%. Jeez, yeah, it's not. It's like our third second largest cost in our company. Um that really eats away at your net income, especially at scale. Um and that's another thing too that we see this pump and dump artificially lowering these expenses or, or not actually allocating the expenses correctly. Mm -hmm. You buy it, all of a sudden you have this massive increase in expenses just operate as is. We just saw that at a facility where they didn't include the expense of the manager. Yes. We literally just saw we that. Just We went like back last and week or something. the broker had it listed and we went to him and we're like, it was to give you any idea, it was 50% of the total expenses weren't included in it. <laughs> yeah. 50%. On market, they had received like a thousand calls <laughs> to buy it. Yeah. And we're like, half the expenses aren't in there. Like, Not one about? person had even said it. The guy got a, like a thousand emails and calls. Not one person had even mentioned that 50% of the expenses weren't included. After we talked to with him, he readjusted it about 30%. 
which is still not mm-hmm. not all the way there. Especially that square yeah. footage being that small. Yep. Yeah. Went under contract. It fell out of contract. Um, and because I think they realized that stuff. But it's going to go under contract and it will sell because somebody's going to not know and buy it. Mm-hmm. So um, we see other kinds of risks that we see with storage, obviously supply, demand, pump, dump. We see the future risks, inflation. Inflation in the form of rising interest rates is the big one for me. The massive increase in cost as far as development goes. Um, I worry about that in small markets. And why I worry about that in small markets is in small markets, you're buying them substantially under replacement cost. Um, but And people are like, that's a good thing. Yes, it is a good thing. But you also have to remember you're buying them at below replacement cost because the revenues are so low. Eventually, you have to replace things. So if you have to replace a facility at a $60 a square foot um, amount that you're purchasing at $28 a square foot because the revenue only justifies $28 a square foot, over the long run, this can really eat in, especially in small markets where you're not going to see a massive increase in revenue. Um, so we, I have concerns about small markets because of that and how that might work. You buy a facility, now you got to fix it all up. And over the five years, you have large capex that the revenue from it will not be the return associated with putting that capex in. So that that's an interesting balance that you have to look at and you have to walk in, uh, uh, um, measure it. I I I worry about how automation is affecting values of facility, as in people are pegging values on facilities as if they can be automated, and that's the new value of it. Um, and so we're just going to cut out all these massive expenses to get a higher yield when in reality it can't sustain revenues on a facility of that size at that rate of automation, but the market's adjusting as if it should. Um, so the worry isn't automation. I'm not worried about automation. I'm worried about the perception of the market mm-hmm. and then charging as if that thing was. So you're getting inflated prices due, due to pro that. Forma and it won't situation. Work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of shifts in the asset class as far as operationally technology goes um, that are all, all most of it's all going to help it. But we're looking at other people coming in. Um, like you have the Ubers of self-storage, right? Or not the Ubers, but you have the um, Airbnbs of self-storage, right? So there's other technologies that are coming in that are allowing people to lease out part of their homes. Um, We've seen a lot of these, right? And you see um, on-demand storage, right? All of these other business models that are trying to come in to compete. I I estimate it's about 10% of the market, no more. Um, They haven't ever taken hold. Um, I don't think they will in a big way ever Um, in the areas that they've been the most successful in are actually the areas that you've seen the largest increase in revenues in Mm self-storage. So the actual self-storage operators are doing better today, even with those being tremendously successful in those markets. So they they haven't even seen an adverse effect at all. Um, But they're there. So we're always watching. I'm always mm-hmm. looking and I'm seeing because you also don't want to be the hotel industry that laughs and says, that's stupid. That'll never work. Nobody's going to buy that and then get caught with your pants down. Um, we don't want to be that guy. So we take them very seriously. We're looking at them. But so far, what we're seeing, we like. Uh, but it also plays into markets we're going into. 
that kind of competition. It's a different type of comp- comp- competition. How much they'll take hold, where, where they'll come from. Um, the capital markets in general. Will the capital markets um, have problems? And how will that affect storage? That's just a real estate question in general. We're at the top of a cycle. So macroeconomics, government debt levels um, at this point in the cycle, where are we going to go? How much of a hit through this next cycle will self-storage take on valuations? Um, When are cap rates going to rise? And how will that affect our acquisition process right now in rising interest rates and rising cap rates? All of these are things that you should be uh, worried about and thinking about. So how you do it is you stress test them. So stress testing them is means we look when we're purchasing a facility and we look um, at how that facility may perform in those different environments. What happens if our debt, what happens if we see a 10% drop? Hence the reason why we want value add, which we can pump up really quick. We can get those revenues. We can affect that thing to get it up. So in those conditions, we're already made for it and we won't get, uh, we're already set for it and we won't get in trouble. Basically, we're avoiding razor thin deals, right? Or not mm-hmm. even razor thin deals. We yeah. don't want to be walking on the edge. Um, unless it's clearly an awesome deal, we're not doing it. Um, that is not what we're seeing in the market. The vast majority of the deals that I'm seeing in the market are subpar at best. Mm-hmm. Um, well, just like that one we were talking about where the manager wasn't even included. Like you're saying, I mean, you're getting thousands of calls and this is like a razor thin deal that at the price that they were asking doesn't even make sense. Yeah. To give you any idea, once they standards. increased that expense, yeah. it took out 50% of the profit and they didn't even get it up to normal. Right. 50% right. of the profit. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just a perfect example where it's like they're literally essentially out to bid yeah. <laughs> with this facility and it's not even a good deal. Yeah. Yeah. It's a perfect example. We we see those all over the marketplace. So, you know, you got to work way harder at this point in the cycle to find good deals and you got to be really good about identifying them, which we have a lot of podcasts on those too. Please go back and see. Um, some of the other things that we're looking at is conversion opportunities, how those will affect local markets, what the municipalities will do. Go to the YouTube, check it out. We just posted one of our conversions. We have actually a three video series. Dude, but we are epic. Yeah. We walk through, I think that's actually the title. Epic storage conversion. Epic. Yeah, so that's, that's what right. we came up with. We're like, actually, what is this? What is this video? And we're like, well, it's, it's freaking epic. So, it's an epic yeah. conversion. <laughs> so, and we walk you through everything. Literally, we just take yeah. you through the whole entire building, everything that we're doing, and we don't. We're not even done. Like right. it, we're in the middle. That's of it. what I love about this. So, is like we're walking through it, and you're kind of showing everybody what, like, where we're at currently with it, but kind of bringing everybody along for the journey of this is kind of how we think it's going to go, but it could totally go a different direction, and. We just got to figure this thing out as we go. And and, and, and you'll see. Yeah. You'll see. Yeah, exactly. You're going to see how it turns out if we were in line with projections, if it was what we thought, all the surprises, the good, the bad, the ugly. Yep. Right? It's not like this is a great project that's already done in the bag, and then I'm going to make a curtailed video showing how awesome I am. Mm-hmm. Right? right? That's not how this works. <laughs> I could look very, very dumb. Um, and I think it's a very eye-opening video for people to see at opportunities they'd never thought of. And how mm-hmm. we're looking at it. So totally. That can do it because that's also a hedge against risk and things that we're finding in local markets and why we're doing it. So, you know, this is, I know we're just kind of spitballing some of these things. And I'm just literally like, it, it, it's just, I'm walking you through all the things that are spinning around in our head when we're thinking about risk, things that I think about every day that I'm looking at in the market, and things that you could think about. I'm not stopping anything. 
I'm managing foreseeable or, or uh, current risks, and I'm preparing for maybe future risks, but I'm not stopping. Mm-hmm. And that's what's most important to know, right? Not timing markets, not doing not any timing of that. markets. Yeah. I don't do that. <clears throat> that's that needs to be very clear. I do not time markets um, because nobody does. Uh, occasionally, we get lucky. But um, I just make sure that goods deals are so good that I do them in up markets, down markets, sideways markets, and I just don't stop. You know, it's dollar, it's dollar cost averaging with home runs. Yeah. That's all I do. <laughs> exactly. And if I can do that, I'll be good, good all the go. time. Yeah. You know, it's a long game, dude. It's a long game. And eventually something will go wrong, and I'm preparing for it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And if you're not, those people that aren't are the people that you need to watch out for. Yeah. Well, um, dude, we've had things go wrong. We have. And thankfully, we've had the experience and the insight to have those reserves and to have those uh, those standards for our deals where we can actually address those needs and we're good. Yeah. We had on um, one of our deals, it was actually that converged deal. We went, the bank appraiser was like a month overdue. The bank couldn't fund us when mm-hmm. it was time. We started months before. They had no problem funding. It had nothing to do with us. It had nothing to do with the bank. It was the appraiser. We got to do like the end of the deal. Our contract was up. Mm-hmm. The bank couldn't fund us, couldn't fund the money because of the appraisal. They were freaking out. They were calling up this firm. They'd never had issues with it before. It was unimaginable, the bank. They're super embarrassed. They can't even believe this is happening. Um, but we'd already thought if that was going to happen. And so um, we uh, paid for it in cash. Um, if we didn't have the cash, if I didn't have the cash to bought the building before, I would have accounted for that mm-hmm. and I would have made sure that that was uh, adjusted beforehand, right? You can go either way, but you have to account for those things happening. And that is the kind of stuff, though, too, too that gets us the best deals because we account for multiple scenarios happening. And then when they happen, instead of just throwing up our arms out, well, this isn't going to happen, we're ready for them and we take mm-hmm. advantage of them. So, yeah, no, all good stuff. And I was speaking of that conversion, dude, we're, uh, this is the first time we're using them. So it's really exciting. We're uh, going to throw uh, the sponsor out there, Janice International. Yes. Uh, we're going to be using their mass units, their mobile units here on this thing. It's going to be sweet. Yeah. Excited about that. We're If you guys haven't checked those out, go to their site. Oh, they're, dude. They're like, they're units that are like prefabbed units that you put up ready to go. Um, we did it because of problems with local zoning and everything else. Like the vast majority of the storage facilities indoor, but there's a part that's not. We mm-hmm. didn't want to have to go through certain hoops. Exactly. And so- <laughs> well, and then cost too, because if we built actual structures there, there was going to be a ton of site work that was going to be hundreds of thousands of dollars. And uh, we looked at putting these mass units there. Perfect solution. Saved us a massive cost in uh, in that. Literally hundreds of thousands oh, yeah. of dollars yeah. for like- if 60 units. Yeah. Yeah. If I mean, if not even close to half a million yeah. because we were looking at drainage and these other things. So yeah, massive, massive cost savings there. So there are these solutions out there that Janus has for you guys. Mass units, no key, obviously, is a huge uh, component of Janus. And we're going to be using their new uh, no key one latch technology here where the actual latch itself is the unit controller yes. instead of the installed unit controller that's we're at the so base excited of the door. about this. Oh, dude. Like we're super, super excited to get this new tech in there, try it out. 
Uh, we've used their old tech, and you know it's it's worked great. But we're excited to to move forward. It just and keeps continue. getting better. They just keep updating it. Exactly, exactly. And two, so. you're talking to you're talking to the guys that put in Generation Zero. Yeah, exactly. Literally, I'm not kidding. It was Generation Zero. It was Freaking the first pigs. product ever. So we know what we're talking about, yeah. and it's getting better and better and better and better. And we would never not do it, even with Generation Zero. I mean, we're, we we love this stuff. Yeah. Um, Two, also, you know, I gotta, we're talking about our sponsors, so i got to bring this up as, as well. I've gotten, I think, three messages in the last two weeks of people that are right now fin- financing with Live Oak Bank. Nice. Dude. And they just gushed over Live Oak Bank. I mean, they were like, this is incredible. Mm-hmm. They, I had all these questions. I wasn't exactly sure to do. Live Oak Bank held their hand through it, through the whole entire thing, discussing all the options. Um I'm really, I'm, I'm really, really pleased uh, about Live Oak Bank being our sponsor because of how they're treating our listeners, mm-hmm. and that um, I'm putting my name behind that. Uh, yeah, and for huge. me, I, I don't do this for money, right? I hope that this covers all the bills to do the podcast and everything else like that because it costs a lot of money. Mm-hmm. That's why we have sponsors. But I would, I would just pay for it out of my pocket like I always have before I would ever put anybody on that would in any way, shape, or form make me 100%. look bad. And Live Oak Bank has really done an awesome job. Yeah, they're delivering, dude. Like, delivering like crazy. Uh, we just heard – We've heard, I mean, it's, it's just amazing. Like we've heard good things on both ends from the listeners talking about how great it is to Live Oak thanking us for how many people running over there like, <laughs> yes. hey, we heard you on AJ's podcast and everything. Yeah. Like, it's just – it's really cool uh, to have that level of a relationship yeah. with such a company. You guys do company, use Janice you know? or Live Oak too. Yeah. Tell them we sent you. They, yeah, like, let them know. Let them know. They'll you know, put forth and then we get to hear about it and we want to hear about it from you guys. This is – you know. This is a community, and Mm -hmm. we're doing deals with people here. It's like if you're in the storage industry, you know this is a small industry, right? And best practices and shared resources help everybody out. Let us know, guys. We want to hear about it. For sure. Speaking to that, leave us your reviews, your com- <clears throat> your comments. Get at us on the selfstorageincome.com website. Uh, yes. Tons of exciting things going on. That's YouTube. how you support us. Oh, dude. Uh, that lets us know exactly what's working for you guys, what you want to hear, what you want to see. I mean, you're on there on YouTube all the time answering people's questions and uh, getting people answers and uh, explaining the videos and everything else. YouTube has just been blown up, which is yes. cool to see. Uh, really excited to see all your guys' engagement over there. And then the podcast just continues to grow, continues to get that awesome engagement. Um, downloads are just growing and growing and reviews are growing and growing. So it's just, it's awesome to see. Love getting that feedback and it lets us know we're doing a good job for you guys. And it's just really, really pleasing to us. So uh, get at us on uh, social media as well. Uh, AJ Osborne on Instagram, uh, Connor Skeen on Instagram as well. I got, uh, I finally kind of got my my social media stuff figured out where I was like, contemplating on how I was going to do the whole public profile thing. And I was like, you know, like, cause I just want to keep, you know, private and personal, professional, separate, all that kind of stuff. So, um, anyways, I got that squared away. So I'm, I'm out on Instagram as well. Connor Skeen, if you want to check me out there as well, and then kind of keep up with everything we got going here in the office and, uh, our, our journeys and endeavors here with AJ and Cedar Creek and self-storage income and everything else we got going on. <laughs> yes. So it's uh, it's exciting, really oh, exciting times. We're Love talking it. about all the stuff that we're trying to do for everybody. Yeah. We are hosting an event this summer. 
Yes. I'm not going to talk about yeah. it right now because we're yeah. working on it right now. But probably in the next podcast or not, we'll officially announce it. Um, so listen to the next one for our live in-person event. None of this screens. Get there. I'm going to shake your hand. We're going to talk. Um, it's going to be amazing. So going to be epic. With that, I can't top that. Have a good one, guys. Thanks, we'll everybody. We'll see you next time.